Thank you. Good morning. So today, as uh, Pastor Chiming says, it's a familiar passage, 1 Corinthians 13. The well-known chapter on love that you usually hear during wedding ceremonies, specifically verse 4 to verse 8. But if, you, if we, especially now, I think we should be aware that originally this passage was written by the Apostle Paul in the context of spiritual gifts and the church. You can see that 1 Corinthians 13, is chapter of love, is sandwiched between two chapters on spiritual gifts. So it's not just applicable to married couples, right? It's applicable especially to all of us in the church. And if we look at the last verse, I put it up there for you, of 1 Corinthians 12, it actually provides us the segue, the intro into chapter 13 by revealing to us that he's going to talk about the most excellent way, which is love. And then 1 Corinthians 14, after the chapter 13, it closes off by exhorting us to pursue love. So we can see that Paul is actually taking quite a bit of time to emphasize this issue about love. But I must point out that Paul is not saying that the most important thing is to love and therefore, you know, you can don't worry about spiritual gifts. If you look at the two verses carefully, you also see that Paul is actually exhorting us to desire spiritual gifts. But at the same time, he takes this chapter 13 to remind us that the spiritual gifts must be uh, exercised with love. And last week, Pastor Chi Ming covered 1 Corinthians 12, talk about all the gifts, the spiritual gifts that God has given to the church. And how also that we are part of the body of Christ. Actually, I find chapter 12 quite amusing eh, when we read it, when Paul gets into the description of the body. He reminded us that each one of us is a part of the body. So can you just turn to your neighbour now? and say, hello, fellow body part. Because that's what we are to one another, right? And, you know, as you look, as you look at the people, as you see the people around you, yeah, you, we are reminded by Paul that we are, part, we are part of all these people, we are part of this congregation here. Yeah? In a secret way, we are part of each other. And Paul says we are part of the local church, PPH, here. And not only that, we are part of a worldwide church of Christ. Together, we are the body of Christ. And you, body parts, okay, the Word of God says you are needed because you have a role to play in this body. The church needs you, all of you, all of you are necessary. And the other way around too. We need the church, you need the church, and you need the other body parts. So God in His wisdom designed it this way, that we be dependent on one another. You were not made to be an autonomous, self-functioning, self-sufficient part. You can't say to the rest, I don't need you, and the rest can't say to you, I don't need you either. I came across this cartoon, you know, the eye tells the hand, I don't need you. Then the hand says, are you sure? When you need eye drops, you need me. So it's quite amusing, right? 
to imagine one day you're walking along and then your ear suddenly decides that, you know, I had it with this body. I want to just drop off. I want to spend time on my own. Or, you know, imagine your hand wanting to deform itself to become like a leg because it thinks it's more cool to be a leg than to be a hand. That will cause chaos in your body. So Paul tells us, not only are you and I children of God, we know that, and together we are family of God, but God's Word also reminds us that now we represent Christ's body together to fulfill His mission on earth and to glorify Him. And so last week we were reminded that in that context, spiritual gifts are given because we have a function to play in the body of Christ. Spiritual gifts are tools, and you and I, we are given tools because we have to chokang, right? We have work to do. More importantly, just as when Christ was on earth, the Holy Spirit empowered him, so too, that's why we're getting into this. The Holy Spirit is given to us, to inhabit us, to empower us, to function properly as the body of Christ. So that together, we can say what Christ once said, we can do what Christ once done, and we can live as how Christ lived, to be ambassadors to the world. In case you're trying to see whether your face is there, no, it's not your face. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay, it's some random picture. I can see some people trying to look, see whether you're there. Okay? So in other words, to sum up, Paul is telling the Corinthians with regard to spiritual gifts, and he started off by saying, please do not be ignorant. Please do not be unaware. Okay? And unaware of what? Of the fact that it's not about you. Okay? It's about the body of Christ. It's about Christ. But before we go further into the topic of spiritual gifts, I want to address this question because it surfaces now and then. And the question is this, are all the gifts mentioned in the Bible, especially those who are more spectacular and miraculous, are they still given by God today? Because some people, when they look at the passage later on, we will read parts of the passage, 1 Corinthians 13, some believe that the gifts have ceased, especially the miraculous gifts. Right? Because these verses say that when perfection comes, the gifts will, these gifts will cease. And they interpret this perfection to mean that, you know, the Bible has already been given to us in completion. The full canon of Scripture is here. Therefore, there's no need for gifts like tongues, prophecy, etc. Yeah? But if we read verse 12 carefully, later we shall see, as I said, we'll read, notice that perfection is associated with a time where we will see face to face and we will know fully as we are fully known. So, that hasn't happened yet, right? So it's hard to conclude that perfection has already come. And in fact, Paul, at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 1, he says to the Corinthians, he says, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. In other words, you can see that what Paul is saying is that spiritual gifts is given to be operational until the time that Christ is revealed. That means when he comes back again. So until that time, which is the perfection, right, the spiritual gifts will still be operating. So that's our belief 
And that's the PPH position. I just wanted to say that, that the full range of gifts, the gifts that we see, we read in the Bible, including tongues, prophecy, healing, miracles, etc., they have not ceased. Yeah? And they should be available for operation in God's church today and for His kingdom's work on earth. So the answer is yes. <laughs> okay, but uh, back to the body. Now, the body can be balanced or imbalanced. Yeah? It can be healthy or not. It can be stunted or it can be built up. And it really depends, as the passage here from Ephesians says, it really depends on each part doing its work. Each part doing their role and how they play their role. So after the sermon on spiritual gifts last week, what did you go away thinking after you learned about spiritual gifts? I know some of you were thinking about soccer, soccer last week. But I hope you had time to think about application of the sermon for your life. Yeah? And I, went, when I, think, I think when we think about application of spiritual gifts, there are probably three groups of people here. The first group is the group that you know your gifts and you're using your gifts. So maybe you're already just now serving on the worship team or you know you are, you are helping out in the crash or you're an intercessor, right? And I'm very encouraged. Uh, Peter on Friday texts me and says, I'm praying for your sermon this week, you know? I'm a, I'm a prayer warrior. So thank God for people like that. So for people like you who are serving out in your gifts, I hope that last week's sermon reinforced to you, although I know sometimes you can get tired, but I hope the sermon reinforced for you, you must continue to play your part. That you need to press on to build God's church. And so I hope the message that you received was, I got the gift and I must keep going. And then the second group. The second group is maybe the people who know your gifts, but you're not using them. Either you haven't started using them or you used to use them and then now you're taking a break. So, for instance, maybe you used to lead a, a, a youth, youth a loud gen CG, but because now, you know, starting career, uh, you know, and other work commitments, you took a break, right? So for you guys like that, hopefully you are thinking after last week's sermon, okay, it's time to stop my break yeah, and get back to playing my part. Now is the time God is calling you back to see how that you can serve again. If not back to being a CG leader, then perhaps you can assist your CG leader or you can volunteer to disciple somebody, take somebody through a baptism class. You can volunteer to be a mentor to a younger person. So I hope the message that this group received, second group, is that you need to get up again and get going. And then the third group, there may be some of you who say that I don't know my gifts, actually, so therefore I'm not using them. I hope after last week's sermon, you're asking now, what part am I? Or another way of asking is that what is my spiritual gift? Right? I want to know so that I can exercise it. And I hope the message this third group received is I want to get it. And I want to get going. But hold those thoughts, okay? Because after chapter 12 on spiritual gifts, Paul, led by the Holy Spirit,
goes into this long interlude on love. And so let's hear what he has to say about it. 1 Corinthians 13, he calls love the most excellent way. Now actually the situation in Corinth, as uh, last week we heard, is one where the people actually, many of them are clamoring to receive more impressive gifts, uh, like tongues, right? Because they thought it's a mark of a more spiritual person. Yeah? And they want, they want to feel good, right? They want to feel superior, that now I've arrived at some spiritual level. So for them, Paul wrote 1 Corinthians to stress that love is first and foremost. But even if you're not thinking like the Corinthians, okay, God's Word is still relevant for us. So let's hear what Paul has to say about love and especially in relation to spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 13 can be divided into three sections. Verse 1 to 3, Paul says that love is the most excellent way because it is absolutely essential. Okay, and we'll talk about why later. Then to verse 4 to 7, he says, he explains to us what love is like. And verse 8 to 13, he gives a second reason why love is the most excellent way. Because love outlasts any, all the spiritual gifts. Yeah? So with that framework in mind, let's read, okay, let's read the 1 Corinthians 13 together. Let's read. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries, and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be still. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of this is love. So why is the greatest of this love? Why does Paul call, uh, what arguments does he have that he says that love is the most excellent way? So the first reason he says love is absolutely essential. Right? Because if we can speak in the most heavenly language, but we have no love, he says we are just making noise. We're actually not saying anything significant. And it says, even if we utter divine revelation, all the mysteries of God, that means we say something significant. Or even if we have faith to do mighty works, do something fantastic, 
Yet, without love, He says we are nothing. And even if He says we give up everything, without love, we gain nothing. In other words, Paul is saying the greatest gifts and even the greatest gifts exercised in the greatest way without love is all meaningless, all worthless. It is like having a car in Singapore without a COE. Okay? You get nowhere. It's like having the best hair dryer when you have no hair. You know, we find this hard to understand, right? Because we see some of the things that Paul is listing. And we think that it's super impressive, right? Super impressive, you can speak in the language that we have never learned before, we can suddenly speak. Or we can tell people something that's so relevant to them and, you know, that they don't have the insight and they, wow, it really means something to them, which we actually don't, we couldn't have known. And imagine if you can pray with such great faith that Mount Faber can move from Telok Blangah to Jurong. Right? Technically, it's not a mountain, but you know. If that, that's super impressive, right? And even if you become a martyr, if you do all these things, we thought we are great. We thought we are doing great things. But actually, God's Word says, we are nothing and we gain nothing if it's all done without love. So, who is saying this? Who is saying it's nothing? By whose judgment, by whose standard is it nothing? I think we know the answer. It's by God's standard, right? So, the first point that Paul says, love is the most excellent way because love is absolutely essential in exercising your gift. Because God at the end of the day, looks at our heart. Was it done with love? And I, I think we can also see the practical effects, right? If things are done with love versus done with no love. So I'm reminded, you know, about how my father-in-law came to accept uh, Jesus. It happened this way. Rebecca's, when Re- Rebecca's grandma was ill, she requested someone from the church to visit and pray for the grandma. And Sister Mary Chang came along and some others to visit her and share the gospel with her. And she accepted Christ. And later on, she was baptized by our ex-elder, Richard Chia. And shortly after that, my grandma, uh, my Rebecca's grandma passed away. Okay? And actually, Rebecca was out of the country. So she didn't come back for the funeral. But PPH went to make all the wake arrangements, all the funeral arrangements, uh, PPH people came, you know, and, and, and come and comfort the family. And when Rebecca came home after that, my father-in-law told her, I've seen the love shown by the church. When you were away, you know, they came. And they don't even know us when they came. Then he says, I want to go to church. Right? I want to be a Christian. Because he's seen the love of the Christians. And similarly, uh, recently I heard a story in Tepan Gardens. It's the same thing, right? A lady just came to know the Lord. The, the, the people at CSE always know this lady as a bit depressed, you know, a bit moody. And one day they saw her and then she was, eh, she was very joyful. Right? 
So they, they asked her, you know, and, and they found out that she became a Christian. And that's what transformed her. She's now so full of joy. And although she wasn't led to Christ by one of the CSE staff or even the, the Chinese pastors, actually she, through her daughter's church, she came to know the Lord. But she mentioned that it was the love, love of the CSE staff, the CSE volunteers that she interacted with, you know, the people who come and bring her to the center every Tuesday to sing karaoke, the people who hang around with her, talk to her during the Friday breakfast, the pastors who come and share encouragement. And all this, she said, influenced her from the love that she sees to become a Christian. So we can see the power of love. And we understand what Paul says, that it's absolutely essential. The second reason why Paul says love is the most excellent way is that he says love outlasts and outlives all the gifts. In other words, all the gifts will become irrelevant and done away with when Christ comes again. But love will continue to be relevant forever, for eternity. Just think, you know, in heaven, even if you are the greatest healer, you will have no job, right? Because there's no sick people for you to heal. And you can be the most generous giver here on earth, giving to church, giving to charities, but in heaven you're not needed because there are no needy causes. And even if you're the greatest prophet, in heaven you have nothing new to tell anybody that they don't already know. But what remains? In heaven we will continue to dwell with the God who is called love and we will continue to be loving each other. And that's what the picture of heaven looks like, right? Where everybody loves each other. So love, Paul says, never fails. Or in another version, love never ends. And finally, let's come to the character of love. Love, as you know, uh, in the Greek word, uh, the love here refers to the agape love. Agape love is the type of love where you give love to people even though they don't deserve your love. Right? It's, un it's unconditional love. So it's this highest level of love that Paul is talking about. And actually, you know, I, I wonder why Paul needs to elaborate on love. Because love, to me, seems pretty self-explanatory. Right? If you are loved, you know when you're loved. If you're not loved, you know when you're not loved. So why must Paul describe in detail that love is this, love is not this, etc. So since he bothered, we shall look at it. First he says love is, right? What is love? He says love is patient. Or in another version, it says love is long-suffering. That means love is prepared to suffer long, even with sufferable people, right? And love is kind. Love has good intentions, right? Love extends kindness to people. And then he says, what is love not? He says, love is not envious, it's not boastful, it's not proud, it's not rude, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered. And love does not keep record of wrongs. And love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. 
And finally, to cap it off, he says, love always. Or in uh, different versions, he says, uh, something, all things. Huh? So love always protects. Love always trusts. Love always hopes. And love always perseveres. So that is a long and demanding list. And I know some, some of us read the list and then we say, you know, it's really humanly impossible, right? It's really humanly impossible to love this agape love. And, and really, you know, it, it actually seems quite foolish to love in such an all-out way, to such an extent. For example, you say love all this trust. Am I to keep trusting, trusting, and sometimes people are not trustworthy, right? So what it's saying? And it's true that we can't love this way by our own efforts. We know that. When we look at God's standard of love, in the Old Testament, God says, love your neighbor as yourself. That's already quite difficult. But Jesus pushed the standard higher by saying, we must love one another as he loved us. That means to be able to the extent that we give up our lives for one another. So it's really, we can't love this way by our own efforts. It's also been said that instead of the word love, if we replace this list and we substitute it with Jesus, we can see that Jesus has shown us the way to love, this agape love, perfectly. As we understand more and appreciate more of Christ's love for us, we also learn to love more like Him. And every time we are concerned about stepping out too far with love so that people will take advantage of us, we remember also that we have already been the recipient of God's over-the-top love for us at the cross. While we were still sinners and enemies of God, Christ died for us. But on the other hand, as we look at Jesus' life, it also shows us that some of our concerns are not valid. Right? For example, are we to remain patient with people who do evil things and tolerate them? You can see that Jesus was all-loving, but in righteous anger, he did things like clear the temple of the people who were misusing the premises, right? Or he spoke strongly against the Pharisees for their hypocrisy because they were leading people astray. So sometimes love also needs to take corrective action, but it's out of love. And to always trust someone may not necessarily mean you naively believe everything they say all the time, especially when it appears not to be so. But it does mean we don't ever give up on that person or write off that that person cannot change with correction. And we also offer help and hope for the person to change. Thankfully, not only did Jesus provide the ultimate example, He also gave us the Holy Spirit to empower us to love. As we said, it's not something we can humanly do. So Romans 5.5 5 says, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Right? So this is one of the things that we depend on the Holy Spirit to give us, to help us to be able to love. As we look, as we think about some of the unlovable, less lovable people in our lives, right? 
we thank God that we don't have to just do it with our human strength and that we can ask God for the supernatural ability to love these people with the power of the Holy Spirit. So with this assurance then, I think one of the reasons why God left a long list uh, for us in uh, 1 Corinthians 13 is that it helps us to check ourselves. What if instead of the word love, I put I there? Right? How well am I doing on this whole checklist of loves? Especially as we said, this whole thing is about the context of exercising our gifts and serving one another. How well are we doing in our service if we use love as a checklist? Now, example, if you are in a teaching role, right? You're either uh, uh, teaching the youth or teaching the young adults or teaching somewhere else. If you have the gift of teaching, are you impatient? Or are you irritated when people don't get what you're teaching straight away? Are you kind enough to repeat yourself, to elaborate, to clarify, so that people understand? Are you envious when your students seem to respect other teachers more than you. And if you have the gift of healing or the gift of knowledge, do you go away, you know, proud, thinking I'm more spiritual, people can come to me and boast about your abilities? And when I offer help to people, do I insist that they do things my way? Etc. So this list, this checklist is a good way for us to think about how are we doing as we serve from the perspective of love? And I want to share a story that a sister shared with me a few weeks ago. I was quite very encouraged by this. Uh, she was sharing about a China worker that came to her house to help do the renovations, right? So was, the guy was there for quite a while. Uh, so she started talking to him. She started talking to him and she actually shared uh, the gospel with him. But this guy was like, you know, quite hostile. Okay, so she, but anyway, she continued to be kind to this person. She continued to talk to him. She continued to bring him lunch every day, you know, because she knows that it's difficult for the guy to get lunch. And he's not supplied lunch. And one day when they were talking, he talked about his son. How he was worried about his son, that his son was not doing well in school. You know, I didn't think his son would amount to anything in life. And so she encouraged him. Encourage him to say, don't give up on your son, you know, we can do things. And, you know, look at some of the people uh, that we know, uh, the Chinese that are here in our church, you know, their children have done so well in school and they have, you know, they have gotten, uh, got, gotten uh, far in life. So the next day after she, the guy came back, he, he said, actually he told her, he said, I'm very encouraged by what you said, right? And as a result of which I want to make some changes so I called my wife back home and told her, you know, uh, I'll send you more money, go and get tuition for our son, you know, we believe he can do well, you know, encourage him, etc., etc. Uh, tuition, not tuition, all this. <laughs> okay. So, God blessed the son, right? And the son actually did so well. He went to university. He was the first boy or first guy in the village in China to go to university. So the father was very happy, right? All this because this sister... Uh, encourage him yeah, uh, about his, uh, his family. And then another day, when this guy was feeling down, wow, 
Actually, he said that he wanted to attend church. So this sister quickly, you know, arranged and sent him to church. He wasn't out of church because it was Saturday. So went to church. And after the message, which was actually not even an evangelistic message, this guy wanted to believe in Jesus. And he accepted. And he prayed and accepted Christ. Right? So now he's, he's come to the Lord. But the story doesn't end there. So this sister, you know, uh, brought him to our church this time. Uh, and put him into the Chinese service. But, you know, the Chinese service profile and this guy's profile is quite different, right? The Chinese service is all the very professional, highly educated kind of people. And this guy is just some uh, worker. So she, it's true. She was worried that this guy won't fit in. And it's true, this guy didn't fit in. So he, you know, uh, was having problems. So she decided, okay, my husband and I, we're going to switch. We're going to switch from English service, even though English service is something that's more comfortable for us. We're going to switch to Chinese service. We're going to spend time with this guy, help to integrate him, help to follow him up, make sure that he doesn't drop out from church. Yeah? And they ended up attending Chinese service for three years right, to help to stabilize this guy. So to me, that was an excellent example, an illustration of the characters of love here we see. Patience, kindness, not easily angered, not self-seeking, always trust, always hopes, always perseveres. As for me, as I was preparing also, I must confess that as I reflected more on God's word, uh, God also purified my desire. I realized that in my life, I also yearn after spiritual, more spiritual gifts that I didn't have, right? Now, for instance, I wanted to have the gifts of healing, gifts of knowledge. You know, I think as a pastor, it's important. You pray for people, you give them a word. But how come I don't have, like some other people, you know? And so I felt less spiritually powerful uh, than some other pastors that I see, or maybe a second-rate pastor compared to the rest. Then as I began to read God's word more, I realized and purified my desire that I really must be pursuing, number one, pursuing the gifts for the right reason. And I must also pursue things which are a greater blessing, right? A greater benefit to the church. For example, things like prophecy. Then as I reflected more, I realized that love actually is the heart of the matter. And it dawned on me that how I exercise my gift is more important. And I asked myself, supposingly God gave me the gift of prophecy. Then beyond, you know, praying for a troubled person when they come out for altar call, giving them a relevant word, would I be willing to go further than that? Would I call the guy? Would I follow up with the guy? Would I continue to check how they're doing? Would I encourage them now and then? Would I share God's word with them? Am I prepared to do all this? And on the other hand, if God says, this gift is not for you. Prophecy is not meant to be distributed to you. Then, will I still show the same love to this troubled person? And actually, if, I, if we read 1 Corinthians 12, 28 to 30, it talks about the giving of spiritual gifts. God says He gives the church apostles, prophets, teachers, workers of miracles, those with gifts of healing, those able to help others, those who can speak in different tongues, but it doesn't mean these gifts are given to me. It is given to the church. 
The context is the church. So then my prayer changes. My prayer changes from God give me the gift of prophecy to God give our church the gift of prophecy. God give the church the gift of healing. God give the church the gift of distinguishing spirits, etc. If he wants to give it to me, it's great. But if he wants to give it to one of my brothers and sisters instead, that's also fine, right? So that God's church here can fully function to fulfill his purposes and glorify his name. So when I realize that love is first and foremost, then it pivots my desire for the spiritual gifts away from myself and towards the church and the Christ. Because, same thing, it's not about me, it's about Christ's body and it's about the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is a very simple message and I think there's only one conclusion which Paul already again has happily, uh, easily provided for us and as I said in 1 Corinthians 14 chapter 1. So hearing how excellent love is, right? The next thing he says is pursue love. And that's it, you know? Pursue love. Which I think is basically two simple things. Start with love and continue with love. So as I said, some of us are, you know, we're not, maybe we're not serving actively now. And then you, after the, the sermon last week, you're asking, what is my spiritual gift? So that I may exercise it for a church. Good, if you're asking that question. But I think after hearing about love in the most excellent way, a better question really is, Lord, who do you want me to serve? Who do you want me to love? And we start off with that question. So I, I heard this testimony from a young missionary like who said that you know, when he went out to the field, right, he was so inexperienced. And then the, what he saw there was you know, just so many sick people, so many needs, financial and other needs. And you know, everything depends on him. He got not much people to count on. And he says, God, you know, help me, help me. But he continued to faithfully see how he can do something for them. And as he went along, God gave him, you know, brought in gifts of healing, gave him the gift of administration to organize the place, to organize people. And, you know, other things came along and God supplied. And so as he started with love, God supplied all the other things for him. So our first question should be, Lord, not what is my spiritual gifts, but Lord, who do you want me to serve? As we said, in our, this body here, who do you want me to serve? Who do you want me to love? And then after that is, God give me the gifts so that I can serve them. So we ask God first for supernatural love before we ask for supernatural gifts. And when we ask for gifts, we must ask with the right motivation. And the motivation is love. Love for my fellow brothers and sisters. And for some of us, we said we're already serving. Thank God for you. That's good. But how do we continue with love? How do we continue to exercise them with love? 
think we saw this verse last week. It says, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others faithfully. But actually, in the same 1 Peter 4, before that, it says, above all, love each other deeply. And 1 Corinthians will end, towards the end will say, do everything with love. So those who are serving, we need to check ourselves against love. Am I serving in the most excellent way? Am I serving in the way of love? Not how great is my performance, not how great is my impact, not how great is my results, but how great is my love for people. So can you imagine if all of us just start with love in this church, all of us start with love, and all of us just continue with love. Just two simple things, right? How wonderful and transformed and glorious this church would be. We already see pockets of this, right? We see when somebody has a need, somebody comes alongside and helps the person. When, when somebody, there's a funeral, uh, a relative of ours passes away, people come, encourage us, uh, comfort us. Uh, sometimes when we have uh, financially needy people, uh, pastor asks, you know, any, uh, can people help? And various people come forward and they say, you know, I can supply this amount of money towards this person. Uh, so all these things we see already. But can you imagine if all of us, all of us do that? Then there will be very little need in this church, right? Because we will come alongside one another. We will be there for one another whether it be financial need, whether it be emotional need, social need, uh, you know, we'll have less needs because we are all coming alongside one another. We are all coming to pray for one another, to encourage one another. If anybody needs comfort, they find it. If anybody needs uh, somebody to pray with them, they, they find it. If anybody needs support, they find it. If anybody needs uh, even to, to, to learn uh, about something, they're not sure, they will find somebody to teach them, to guide them. If they want advice, they will get it. And we will be growing together in much greater maturity and faith. And as we desire to love one another more, you know, and we ask God for eagerly, as He said, eagerly desire the gifts, then God will give us more gifts of prophecy, more gifts of miracles, of healing. Right? And we will see also more people uh, going out and sharing about God's love. So if we are a community of love, if we can become a greater community of love, then we will really display, as we saw in some examples just now, display the kingdom of love, God's love, to, our, to everyone else. And we will declare the kingdom of love to people. And we will further the kingdom of love. So why don't we just stand and let's just uh, come to God. As I said, it's a, we just close your eyes. As I said, it's a simple message, yeah? simple conclusion. But what do we do with it? What specific thing does God want you to do with it? So why don't we just spend some time and come before God now and, and, and say that, you know, God, your word says this. What do you want me to do? How can I be part 
of making this your local church here a greater community of love, declare your kingdom of love better, display your kingdom of love better, and even further your kingdom of love. Ask God to bring to mind how you can, you know, love people better or how you can even change some of the ways you are doing things so that it displays love better. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Thank you that we are, you have given us a place, a place in your family and a place in your body to fulfill your purpose and to glorify you. Thank you that I'm needed. I have a role to play. And that you have also a portion allocated for me, gifts to play my role. And most of all, you have given me love. First, you have loved me. You have extended your love to me by laying down your life at the cross. And as you have loved me, Lord, help me to love my brothers and sisters also. Thank you for giving your Holy Spirit to enable me, to empower me to love. So for some of you who are are praying, you know, what part am I? What spiritual gift uh, can I, do I have that I can use? Let's, let's say to God that, I, God, I want to start with love. I want to start with love. First and foremost, I want to start with love. Show me who you want me to love and who you want me to serve. And then give me the gifts to do so. And help me to continue to exercise them in love. And for those of you who are actively already serving some way, you know, let's pray that God, we want to continue in love. Thank you for this ministry that you put me in. I can serve you. I can serve my fellow brothers and sisters. Thank you for the gifts that you've given to me but I want to recommit to serving with love. I want to serve you in the most excellent way that pleases you. So help me, God. And now I want to pray a blessing for you from Ephesians 3. It says, I pray that out of His glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God and in Jesus name we pray Amen. Okay, I, I want you to also uh, 
have a chance to do something practical in the sense that if you uh, don't know, you think that, yeah, God, you know, my prayer is really, I want to know what is my gift, what part can I play? And you really don't know in this church what you can do. Please come and see one of the pastors, whoever, we can guide you, okay, and help you to see how you can be part of doing something in this body over here. Right? Okay, thank you. God bless.